Would you take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. I want to talk this morning on a subject, an anchor for your life. An anchor for your life. And so I want to ask you if you would go ahead and find 2 Timothy chapter 3 in your Bibles. And uh, in a moment we will read it in its entirety and study it in its entirety. Uh, So many passages within this passage that would really even be worthy of a series. But I want you to see the chapter, the whole scope of the chapter and the the themes that uh, Paul is weaving together. And how he balances out the chapter. So we will look at it in its entirety. Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Father, I think of what uh, Dr. Francis Schaeffer used to say, that God is very present and He is not silent. Lord, we know that You have spoken to us through Your written Word and the living Word. You have shined Your truth into the light of this present darkness. And Father, you have commanded us to go and shine your light. 
Lord, as we live in these turbulent times and make decisions in the midst of a society that does not know you, help us to see today that you've given us an anchor. You've given us a compass to provide stability and direction for our lives. And Father, during these days, I pray that we would be strong men and women of faith. That we would be growing in our own faith, our own knowledge of your word, your truth. That we would live as salt and light to those around us. And as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, that they would see our good works and not glorify us, but glorify our Father who is in heaven. Lord, strengthen your church, equip us, ready us for the assignment that we have. And I pray that these words this morning would would stir somebody's heart. Lord, that uh, they would get on the field, so to speak. That they would get in the battle. That they would serve you. And God, I pray that if there are any here who do not know Christ... That the motivation of knowing that we're in the last days would prompt them to make decisions before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It seems weekly now we hear of something like the uh, Seattle shooting that took place this past uh, Wednesday. Ian Lee... Stowicki, armed with two 45 uh, caliber pistols, went into an artsy-styled cafe and coffee shop in Seattle and began opening fire on the patrons there. By the time he was done, he had killed four. He had fled the scene, killing another woman while carjacking her and taking her uh, SUV to make a getaway. A little bit later, of course, that day he took his own life. The reports say that it would have been far worse had a hero simply named Lawrence not stepped in to help. He doesn't want to be identified further than that, uh, only by his first name. Lawrence had lost a brother in the 9-11 attacks and he swore that he would never stand by idly And watch something like that happen and cower under the table in fear. And so Lawrence began picking up stools and hurling them at the gunman while patrons made their escape. And police say had Lawrence not stepped in, buying folks there a few extra seconds to retreat, the death toll would have even been worse. Folks, we've almost grown accustomed now to opening up the newspapers or going on the internet and reading the news and finding stories of atrocities like that. A casual search of the internet any given week reveals a host of them. And I think that begs the question, have those type events increased or has only the media coverage of them increased? I think we'd have to admit the answer to that is perhaps a bit of both. 
These are dangerous times we live in. Speaking of 9-11 a moment ago, we have a man in our church right now who was in those twin towers that morning. He got his group out and as they got out, one of the team members said he needed to go back in and get his laptop and they urged him not to and he said, you don't understand, my whole life is on that hard drive. And despite urgings from his team, he went back into that building and he was never seen alive again. Folks, it's not going to get any better before Jesus Christ returns. Years ago, post-millennialists, of whom now I think there are very few, they claim that the church was going to be so successful at winning the entire globe to faith in Jesus and Christianizing the world that we would simply meet Jesus when he returns to the earth and we would hand over to him a job that was completed. Well, the 20th century got underway and two world wars and many atrocities later, post-millennialists, by and large, have abandoned their positions. But folks, I hope that doesn't discourage you because Paul says in Titus 2.13 that we are to be a people who are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. We've got a sure and a steadfast hope as believers. We know how it all ends. God has told us how it all ends. I love what Dr. Vance Havner used to say. He said, I'm so grateful that there's no Satan in the first two chapters of the Bible and there's no Satan in the last two chapters of the Bible. Now, folks, in the meantime, we shouldn't be taken off guard by evil. We shouldn't be surprised by what all we see happening around us in the world because, again, the Bible makes very clear that before Christ comes back, all of this is going to happen. The world in in a growing crescendo is going to get worse and worse and worse. And the Bible clues us in as to why. Uh, The Bible says in the book of Revelation that Satan knows that his time is short. Well, Paul wants young Timothy to know that in the midst of the activity of the evil one and in in the midst of a world that seems so out of control, the believer is not... To be discouraged. We're to be alert. We're to understand that we have an enemy. He prowls about, Peter says, in 1 Peter 5, 8, like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. Folks, in the midst of it all, we see that God has not abandoned this world. He has not abandoned believers. In fact, things are right on schedule. Timothy needed to know all this. As he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. And so again, Timothy needed to know that believers are both forewarned and equipped. Now let's see how all that plays out in this text. The first thing that I want you to notice from the first five verses is the perversion. The perversion. Now verse 1, in in different translations you'll read the words remember or know or mark it down or be quite sure. 
or understand this or realize this. The previous chapter had closed on a, on a rather positive ray of hope. As we carry out our ministry, we will perhaps see a number of successes as people are turned from the error of their ways. But at the same time, the opposite is going to be true. There are many people that will not turn from the error of their ways. Why? Paul writes, because in the last days, difficult times will come. And all you've got to do is is peruse the various English translations to see how they try to to translate these Greek words to, to clue us in on what's going to happen. They say dangerous times are going to come, fierce times, violent times, perilous times. In Philip's translation, he says times that are full of danger. It's interesting that the word that is used there is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in uh, Matthew chapter 8 verse 28 where the Bible says Jesus crossed over to the other side of the Gadarenes and as he crossed over there, he met two demon-possessed men. And it says they were so fierce, they were so violent that nobody could even go by the area that they were in. Nobody could even go down those roads or go down that path because those men were so fierce and so violent. It's the same word that's used here. Perilous times, dangerous times, fierce times will come. As Paul closed out chapter 2, he told Timothy that that some men are held captive by Satan to do his will. And the Bible makes a reference to the fact that as time goes on, demonic activity is going to be on the rise. And therefore, what we end up with is very dangerous times. It's interesting how that in chapter 2, Timothy was to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And in chapter 3, he was to remember that these are dangerous times. And I think the implication behind that is, uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, the only answer for days like this that we live in is Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. And he's risen from the dead. He's alive. Well, I want you to notice, first of all, the evil that Paul begins pointing out beginning in verse 2 with that long laundry list of vices. What are the signs? What is the evil? What are the perversions? Well, he says men will be lovers of self there in verse 2. Men will be lovers of money and men will be lovers of pleasure. That's the devil's unholy trinity. It is a three-headed, idolatrous God of self, money, and pleasure. And it would appear that all of the other perversions in the list in some way or another grow out of at least one of these three. Now, doesn't that sound like a commentary on modern culture? And I think that's why if you're not ready to meet the Lord, you better hurry and get ready because what we're seeing right now is things that are going to happen, the Bible says, in the last days. He says we're going to be lovers of self. He's speaking of here an exaggerated and inflated love for yourself. Men will put themselves even before God. Now, there's a proper way to love yourself. Jesus spoke of that. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so you and I need to find our self-worth in Jesus Christ. We're created in the image of God. 
And we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so that's where we get our worth from. That God created us and shed his own blood for us. And so we need to see our significance and self-worth in Jesus Christ. And live for him and glorify him. And that's what gives life meaning and purpose as we live. And, and, and Paul points out here that men are perverting that. They're, they're putting themselves on the throne of their own life. And they worship self. And then he goes on to say lovers of money. In the last days men will be lovers of money. People will kill you today for a dollar in your wallet. There are places you can go to in society and because of the shoes you have on your feet or the coat you have on your body or the hat you have on your head, somebody will take your very life. Now I want you to see there's a natural progression here. On the one hand, if, if you love God and put Him first, you're going to love the things of God. But on the other hand, if you put self first and put uh, money first, then, then you're going to love all the things of the world. And then he talks here about lovers of pleasure. It's another form of idolatry. We don't bow down to wooden idols today in modern culture, but we certainly do worship entertainment and, and pleasure. And what's the logo of today? The logo is, hey, if it, if it feels good, do it. It doesn't matter who you hurt. It doesn't matter if it pleases God or grieves God's heart. If it's suitable to you, if you enjoy it, you like it, and it's good for you, just do it. All authorities despised, even God's authority. Folks, that's how it is in this day and age we live in. We've studied recently in the book of Judges that everybody just went about. Uh, there, there, there was no king in the land and everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. And as we studied through the book of Judges, we saw where that got the, na uh, got the nation, where they ended up living that way. But folks, we would have to admit we're repeating those same cycles today. We're just like the Israelites. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. That, that's quite a list and it's not very complimentary of human nature. Verse 3 says heartless. That's a worded uh, load in the list. It's got a number of nuances. It's only used here and in Romans 1 in the New Testament. It can mean inhuman, without natural affection, without family affection. There's a number of ways commentators and scholars deal with that very first word in verse 3. It seems today, for instance, that nobody really cares about their neighbor anymore. Just without natural affection for those who live around you, those who, who surround you. You know, I get jealous sometimes hearing some of the older people in the church talk about how their communities used to be a long, long time ago. They didn't have to worry about people coming in and doing all sorts of things. I remember a man in my first church out of seminary, it was in a rural community. He said to this very day, we never, ever, ever lock our doors. Our house stays open all the time. And that's how people used to live. The word can take on that nuance. It can take on the nuance without family affection, how people are, are doing crazy things to their own family members nowadays. 
Several years ago, <clears throat> I read about some parents who, who had chained their, their children in closet. They'd raise their kids in a closet. Their kids had never even seen daylight. And they would starve them to death just about. And they would feed them only occasionally. Time the authorities found these children that they couldn't see because they'd been raised in the dark. They couldn't speak. They'd never been taught how to speak or read or do anything like that. They were almost dead from starvation. And the authorities said they were like wild beasts. It's amazing that parents could do something like that. And then of course this word can also refer to all the, the homosexual activity. You know people today, society wants to ram that down our throat saying it's natural. The Bible says it's not natural. That word can have all of these different nuances. And then he goes on to hear, talk about here how men will be unappeasable, unforgiving. They'll be irreconcilable and how that will even creep into the church. I think about men today who are irreconcilable and unforgiving and how you can't appease them. And, and all the conflict that causes in relationships and families because people live with grudges year after year after year. I knew two brothers one time who hadn't spoken to one another in 15 years because of something very childish that had happened in their family. This was grown men. And this, Paul is saying here, even happens in the church. Men, some kind of conflict comes up or something, and, and they're irreconcilable. You can't appease them. They, they won't make things, they simply will not make things right with people. Paul says that's going to be a sign of the last days. Is there somebody, am I speaking to somebody here this morning that maybe you won't, be re, uh, you won't be reconciled with somebody? I'd say to you, you better rethink your position. Now some of you are thinking, yeah preacher, read this list, sick them, get them. But I want you to notice what he says here in verse 5. He says, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. He says this, all this list that he's just read of all these evil vices, all this perversion going on at the end times. He says, you know what? You're going to go into places of worship and you're going to find that inside the walls of the church just like out in the world. Men who want to who wanna go through the outer shell, the form of religion, but they deny the life-changing power of the gospel. What's Paul's advice to Timothy? He says avoid people like that. He's just said in the previous chapter try to work with them, draw some of them in. But he realizes in honesty you know some you just can't deal with. And so he says those that you just can't deal with just kind of there comes a time and point that you just kind of avoid them and let them go. Well look at the examples, the bad examples he begins talking about in verses 6 to 9. In verses 6 to 9, he, he applies this to those who have denied the Christian faith and they teach falsehood. Paul is making clear even some religious leaders are involved in all this. And while, while, the, men, while the men were away during the day, they, these false religious leaders would try to weasel in and divide and conquer families. 
You see, in ancient times, the women stayed home and they, they nurtured the, the children. They, they weren't involved in many of the issues of, uh, of the day, the issues of life when it came to either theology or, or, or politics, the political issues of the day. Uh, the, the women just kind of stayed out of that. They, they were not informed, not because they couldn't be. It's not derogatory in that sense. It's just the reality of the life that they weren't involved in all that. They were, they were consumed with nurturing the children and, and looking after the affairs uh, of the home. And, and some of these religious leaders would, they'd weasel in, they would find maybe, uh, Paul implies here, women who were unstable in the faith. They would, they would zero in on those that maybe seemed the easiest to divide and conquer. Those who were unstable in the faith and those who lived ungodly lives and, and they would weasel in and they would try to lead them astray from the orthodox faith and, and hopefully gain a whole family. Paul names two specific names out of Jewish wisdom literature and compares, compares the contemporary false leaders to them. Men who had opposed Moses. He assures Timothy that God is going to judge all of that and, and all of those who reject the faith, all those who live as though they have depraved minds. Paul assures Timothy, Timothy, there's going to be a payday someday. Now the thought comes to mind, wow. Preacher, if you're telling me the last days, this is how the last days are going to be and this is how men and women live and you even see it in the church and, and people are going about doing all this kind of stuff, man, what in the world are we going to do? What kind of hope does the Christian have? Does the Christian today not have any kind of hope? And so Paul moves on to cover, secondly, the prescription. The prescription in verses 10 to 17. You know, we have a physical ailment. And what do we do with the physical ailment? We go to a doctor, we get an antibiotic, we get medicine. Uh, to, to, we get a prescription to help with what ails our body. Well, well, Paul is assuring Timothy here that these dangerous times in which we live, these fierce, violent, perilous times in which we live, child of God's not without hope. He's not without hope. Timothy needed to look at two things here. First of all, the work of God. The work of God and the Word of God. We'll cover the work of God first. Look what he begins going into there in verse 10. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. What's Paul saying to Timothy? Timothy, you need to keep your head on straight. You know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Timothy, living in this kind of culture that seems like it's coming unglued, you know what you need to do? You need to find some good mentors in the faith. And Paul was, Paul was one of those mentors for Timothy. Paul met Timothy back in Acts chapter 16 on his first missionary journey. Took Timothy along. He discipled Timothy. Timothy was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And Timothy had been able to witness how the Apostle Paul conducted himself and, and, and ministered to people. He had Paul's example. 
And Timothy, what Timothy is being told, Timothy, keep your head on straight in the work of God. And you've got my example to follow. And you see, that's not always been easy for me. In fact, at Iconium and Lystra uh, and, and, and Antioch on his first missionary journey, we know what they did to the Apostle Paul. They stoned him, drug him out of town, and left him for dead. What did Paul do? He got up and he went back into the city and continued preaching the gospel. So what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy, Timothy, ministry is going to be tough sometimes. And for the average person to try to live the Christian life out in a society like this where we're tempted to say, boy, everybody is doing this kind of stuff. Hey, Paul wants to emphasize, no, everybody's not. You know, it's, it's good to have mentors, isn't it? Some solid people that you can look to. Aren't you glad we have plenty of those in the church? We can look at men and women and say, man, in this type of society in which we live, I want to live like them. I want my family to be like theirs. We have mentors like that. And, and what Paul is saying is, Timothy, you need, you need to realize this. Realize, it's, it's kind of like Elijah was told. You know, when Elijah said, boy, I'm the only one. What God remind Elijah of? Elijah, there are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal yet. You're not the only one. There's some good examples out there. Some great examples as you're involved in the work of God. So look at their lives. Rather than men like Johnny's, Jannies and Jambres and others like them, rather than this corrupt society, keep your eye on those who in the church, boy, they're living out their faith and they're growing in their relationship to Christ. And they're about the work of God. They're good examples for you, Timothy. And you and I need to realize the same. And then the second thing that's going to help Timothy... And this is primary in the text. I want you to notice what he says here. Timothy has the word of God. Verses 14 to 17. He says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy was to continue in the word of God. He was to abide. Same Greek word is used here uh, that Jesus used in John 15 when he talked about being, him being the vine and we're the branches and, and we need to abide in him, remain in him so that we can bear much fruit. Same word here. Timothy is to abide in the word of God. He's to make his life and his heart a dwelling place for the word of God. Too many of us have a Bible in our hand without having it in our heart. But what we need to do is hang on to this anchor God's given us. We're not to be discouraged. We're not to be deceived. Paul had said in Colossians 2.8, See to it that nobody takes you captive through vain philosophies or traditions of men rather than according to the principles of Christ. Philosophy can take us captive. Tradition can take us captive. Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to be captive to the Word of God. You've known the sacred writings. That's a Jewish expression for the old Jewish Old Testament. The Jews prided themselves that by, by age five, 
Their kids were nurtured and discipled in the Word of God. They had a say in our young drink in the Word of God, the Torah, along with their mother's milk. Paul said that through knowing the sacred writings, Timothy had been given the wisdom that, that, that leads to salvation. Folks, the central figure of the Bible is Jesus Christ. The central message of the Bible is the redeeming message of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bible's not chiefly a book about science or history or ethics when it comments on those things. It's reliable. But what is the, what's the Bible about? The, the Bible is about helping us to understand that we've sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have a need in our life, but there's a Savior. Christ died for us. That's the central message of the Bible. A message of redemption, that scarlet thread that runs all through the pages of the Bible. And we're reminded of what Paul said in Romans 10 that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we read the word of God, our souls are quickened and we understand these things more and more. And the hope and the foundation that God has given us only increases more and more. And so Timothy needs to nurture himself on the words of scripture. And he needs to understand the nature of the word of God. It is God breathed. The Bible is more than simply a book of human invention. God used human authors, but it's God-breathed. It's God's book. And so that means when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Paul says, Timothy, here in in chapter 16, all Scripture is inspired. And it's unique, the word he uses there, apasa, all Scripture. And it's without the definite article. And so what that means is, is that every verse, every chapter, every passage, every book in the Bible, all of it, every single bit of it is inspired. All of it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible doesn't simply contain the Word of God and you've got to go on some treasure hunt to find it. The Bible is the Word of God. All of it's inspired. Remember what Jesus said? Heaven and earth will pass away, but, but not one jot or tittle of my word will pass away. In the, in the Hebrew grammar, in the Hebrew language, a jot and a tittle was the smallest little expressions of, of Hebrew writing. It'd be like us today talking about a period or a comma or an apostrophe. One of the smallest parts of, of, of written language, grammar. Jesus says not one jot, not one tittle, not the smallest fragment, not the smallest bit of my word will pass away even though all heaven and earth will pass away. It's all God breathed. Pasa, all of it. Every bit of it, Timothy. It's God's word. And, And what God wants you, God wants you... He wants you immersed in it because as you're immersed in it, the first thing you're going to learn, as he points out, back back to verse 14 again, the first thing you're going to learn is your own sin and need of a Savior and you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Where do we learn all that? In Scripture. And now as as believers we say, hey, I want to grow. Well, the Word of God 
helps you in that. God uses His Word through the power of His Spirit, as Paul said in Romans 8, to conform us to the image of Christ, to grow us, to equip us. He says the Word of God is is profitable. It's advantageous for, first of all, teaching, for doctrine. The Word of God, Paul is saying, Timothy, the Word of God is going to tell you the content of what you need to believe. The doctrine, the content, the teaching. What you ought to believe in a world like this, you're going to find that in the Word of God. And it's also good for correction. You see, it clears up faulty thinking. We, we come to God through faith, living out in the world, corrupt world, dark world, and we have all these bad thinking patterns. And, and, and it's the Word of God through the study of the Word of God that this transformation begins taking place that Romans 12, 2 speaks of. This, this transforming that the, that the Spirit of God does. God does that through His Word. It's like, a mission, uh, it's like a, a missionary to China was told one time. Somebody brought him a Bible back and said, I don't want this Bible. And they, the missionary said, why not? Man, every time I read this book, it kicks me. But it kicks us in the right direction, doesn't it? Teaching, correction, training. It's God's own owner's manual for living. God's owner, owner's manual. Your creator, the sovereign God of this universe, has left us his word, his love letter. How foolish if you and I don't turn to it and read it and memorize it and cherish it and grow in it. The author of life, the one who made us, created us for a purpose and a ministry and a mission. The one who's preparing eternity for us. He, he's left us a precious book that we can read. And, and, and boy, we can, we can be trained. It's, it's like that owner's manual. I told you a number of years ago about that, about that uh, young man, a uh, uh, mechanic on the side of the road fixing down a broken down car. And this, this sophisticated white collar man drove up, had on his starch shirt and cuff links and tie and all that. And he got out and looked at that young man and said, uh, young man, can I help you with this car? That uh, uh, mechanic greased all up his arms and under his fingernails and looked at that old man and said what do you think you know about cars and that that old man said well I'm Henry Ford and I designed this car (laughs) the word of God is the owner's manual don't don't you think the sovereign God of this universe knows what, what life is supposed to be about And he's left it for us to read about. Verse 17 points out all this has a purpose. Your maturity. God, God wants you to, uh, to become competent, equipped for every good work. God, God wants you to be able to live in turbulent times. He wants you saved. He wants you trained. He wants you thinking right. He wants you acting right. He wants you and me to have the proper affections in life. He wants us to have the proper hope in life. And he offers all that through the instruction in his word. Folks, in closing, let me just, let me admit, boy, it's tough living in turbulent times, isn't it? It's tough. 
We have our intellect. We have reason. But you know what? Our, our reason has been affected by the fall. Human reason has been affected by the fall. Your intellect will lead you astray. Some say, well, I'll live by my experiences, existentialism. But, you know, that leads us astray too, doesn't it? Some say, boy, I'll live by intuitionism, feelings, what, what, I, what I feel in my gut. Intellect, experience, feeling, all of those are spears that have been affected by the fall. And when people try to make a God out of those things for an anchor or a compass for their life, they're ultimately led astray. God's given us His Word. His love letter. His book. And Timothy is being told, Timothy, in the midst of all this that I'm telling you about, Keep your head in the game and keep your focus on Christ. Keep your focus on His Word because God will never lead you astray. I wonder about your life right now today. Are these difficult days for you? Are you going through a trial of your faith or a test of your faith? That happens to all of us. James 1, 2 talks about that. Lean on God. Don't give up. Don't grow discouraged. God never told you or me it would be easy. In fact, in verse 12 here, he says all of us who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, guess what? There's persecution out there in the world, right? These are tough times to live in. Evil times. Boy, you know, I think about some of you sometimes. I think of how blessed we are on, on church staff. You know, we, we come to our work environment on church staff, and you know what? We're of one heart and one mind, and, and boy, we want to we wanna lead the church in the right direction and the ways of the Word of God. We want to encourage one another and pray for one another. But you know what? You don't go to a work environment like that, do you, most of you? Boy, dog-eat-dog world out there. Profanity. All kinds of junk going on in the workplace and in the world. I, I think about having to get up every morning and, and go in some of your environments. Man, that must be tough. It's hard. We live in a society where men love themselves and love money and pleasure. Dog eat dog. Everybody will do everything to get ahead. Keep your focus. Stay at the work of God and take up the word of God. It's God's prescription for his children. Make a dwelling place in your heart for the word of God. Let it be your road map. You know, this morning, if you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord, you, you have ignored the first point on the road map. You, you've, you've missed that step. That step of learning of your sin and need of a Savior and the Savior Jesus Christ. You need to come into faith in Christ today and repent and believe. If you need teaching and direction, equipping and encouraging, God's Word does all that. Make a home in your heart for it. Every day. 
Bible says in Mark 1, Jesus got up before everybody else did while it was yet dark and he went to a lonely place to, 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 to pray and fellowship with God. We need to do that, don't we? If, if Jesus did that, perfect, perfect man, perfect God, perfect man, the God man, if he needed to do that, boy, I surely need to do that, don't I? It'll equip you. It'll encourage you. When you grow discouraged, when you look at those in the office place around you and you're tempted to give up and quit. You look at your family. You you go out in the marketplace and you see what all's going on there. You click on the news headlines. You go on the internet surfing for news and stuff. And you find out all that's going on in the world. Boy, I tell you what, if if it wasn't for the message in this book right here, Boy, we'd be in bad shape, wouldn't we? Every day we'd be dragging our chins if we didn't know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. It's an anchor, folks. It's an anchor. Would you stand, please? Somebody who needs Christ here. You have neglected that first point on the road map. I'd love to talk and pray with you about that. Somebody else say, you know what, Pastor, I'm trying to go at this alone. You're not supposed to go at it alone. The church is his church. He said, I'll build my church. We're supposed to be there for one another, to encourage one another, to help one another, teach one another, pray for one another. That's what a church family is all about. You need a church family. And if for some reason you're visiting this church and don't feel like this is the church for you, you need to find a church family. We'd love to be your church family, but if God's not leading you here, you still need a church family somewhere. But if you want this to be your church family, you step out in a minute too. Come down that aisle closest to your pew. Maybe others just want to come to this altar and say, God, boy, this message was for me. Uh, turbulent world, turbulent workplace, turbulent school, trial and tribulation, hostility, profanity all around me. Boy, I need to keep my head in the game. I need to, I need to keep your word in my heart. And you just want to pray for strength to do that. The altar's open if you sense that's your need.